Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, credit card skimmers, a potential strike from service workers at the U of M, a new study finds state physicians are helping boost the state's economy and the Vikings in the playoffs. But first, former Fox News anchor and Miss America Gretchen Carlson returns to her home state of Minnesota this week for workshops to help women address sexual misconduct and workplace harassment. It's part of Carlson's year-long leadership initiative. Carlson left Fox News more than a year ago after suing founder Roger Ailes for sexual harassment. And just this month, Carlson was elected as the new chair of the Miss America competition, and she's working on legislation that would protect victims of abuse. I caught up with Carlson as she boarded a plane to return to Minnesota. Tell me a little bit about the leadership initiative and what is the goal of the workshops? It's called the Gretchen Carlson Leadership Initiative and it was set up through my fund, The Gift of Courage, in partnership with another organization, All In Together. And really the mission of GCLI is to give workshop ability and information to underserved women, specifically in the areas of sexual harassment and domestic violence and in learning how to have a voice civically and politically. Oftentimes when you find yourself a victim of one of those two issues, domestic violence or sexual harassment, you feel like you don't have a voice at all in anything. And I wanted to make sure that I traveled the country on this nine-city tour to let, to let all women know, but specifically this group, that I care about them and I, I want them to feel empowered uh, by coming to my workshops. You know, Gretchen, your own story involves you being able to speak out. Uh, you, of course, filed a suit against Roger Ailes for harassment and, and made your story public. What compelled you to do so and gave you the courage to, to be able to speak up? Well, I always like to credit my Midwestern sensibilities and how I was brought up in the great state of Minnesota um, with parents who told me I could be anything I wanted to be on a daily basis. So... Um, some of the tenacity, I guess, was already inside of me, but the way in which I was raised to always stand up for myself and to be the best person that I could be. Um, and I think, you know, eventually later in my life, when I realized that my 25-year career in journalism that I had worked so hard for was going to be taken away from me and it wasn't my decision to have that happen, that if I didn't speak up and say something about this issue, who would? And look what happened and look where we are today. I could have never predicted any of this, but we are witnessing a cultural revolution right now and I am just so proud of all the other women and men who have been able to get that same gift of courage. It's contagious and come forward as well. You know, to that end, Oprah Winfrey at the Golden Globes earlier this week gave a, a very stirring speech and she said that a new day is on the horizon. I'm curious, what did you think of her speech and what did you think of that sentiment in particular? I agree with it. Uh, as I said, I believe we're in a cultural revolution. You can call it a tsunami or a tidal wave or, you know, women finally hearing their own voices. But I thought it was incredibly inspiring. And it, it really was fitting for why even the media has stayed focused on these stories of sexual harassment for so long. I truly believe it's because the American public finally wants to get answers for this. I think the American public thought that we had already overcome these issues in society, and that's one of the things I've been fighting so hard on Capitol Hill with is changing the laws to take these issues out of secrecy because we really have been fooling our, our culture because we don't hear about these cases because they go to arbitration and nobody ever knows whatever happened because it's a secret chamber. So that whole speech really told me that the American public 
wants this to be resolved. And even though these stories are heartbreaking and the revelations are horrific, uh, the American public is paying attention. And, and that, to me, is why I think we're experiencing what we are. You mentioned your advocacy on Capitol Hill, and I just saw the political article with the, the statement, is Gretchen Carlson ready to run for office? And that was a question I was going to ask, and I am asking. Uh, what's your plan? Uh, do you have political aspirations? Uh, that seems to be a popular question right now. Uh, I was asked to run for Senate in Connecticut. I think there's been whispers of uh, running in Minnesota, but I'm not running for any political office right now. Um, as we've been discussing, I have so many other you know, full-time volunteer jobs right now and uh, really, you know, I'm looking forward to, to going back into full capacity and, and doing what I've been doing for 25 years, which is television. So that's first on my uh, agenda, along with all the other things I'm doing and, of course, being a mom. Uh, but as, as I was saying in that article, I never say never because my life has worked in so many different mysterious ways and I would never shut a door on something before I even have any idea whether or not it's ever going to happen. You know, Gretchen, one of the things you have been elected to is the uh, the chair of the Miss America pageant, and I'm curious what you intend to do to shake things up there as a former Miss America yourself. I assume you have a lot of ideas for how to improve the pageant. Listen, I'm just trying to get my arms around this organization right now. Again, I never envisioned myself being in this position. It was a call of duty for me to step forward, and if there's been one thing consistent in my life is when a challenge is in front of me, I, I usually go for it. And so right now, it's, it's, it's a huge undertaking and another volunteer job to, to try and wrap my arms around this entire organization to get a great board in place um, to secure the financial deals that I need necessary uh, for, for the telecast moving forward. And then, yes, we will be examining, you know, how do we make this America uh, a part of this whole movement that, that I arguably spearheaded, you know, this whole Be Fierce movement. We already have the goods. I mean, these women are already educated, smart, talented, and they're going places in life. So we just need to improve our messaging and also look at changes to make it more relevant for 2018. Gretchen, we, we have a statewide audience here. I'm just wondering if we have, uh, if there are listeners out there, women or men, who have been victims of harassment or domestic violence or abuse, what, what is your message to them? My message is that you have a voice and that I care about your story. It was really the impetus for writing my book, Be Fierce, is that I heard from thousands of people across our great nation, and they felt by sharing their story with me, they felt a sense of victory because many times their stories had never been heard. And I wanted to honor them and know that I cared about their stories. And it really brings us full circle to why I'm doing the leadership initiative, to give women who are underserved, who maybe don't have the same resources that I did, the ability to learn about these issues, to get help, and, and to live their life to the fullest. I mean, everyone should be entitled to the American dream. And um, so that's, that's what my efforts are all about. You've been very generous with your time, Gretchen. Safe travels, and thank you for talking with me today. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. Gretchen Carlson on Minnesota Matters. And we'll return after this.
welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Thieves secretly installing skimmers on gas pumps to steal credit card information continues to be a problem in Minnesota. Two men each received four-year prison sentences this week, and a nationwide warrant was issued for a third defendant who didn't show up in court. The two who were sentenced admitted to installing skimmers at several gas stations in the Twin Cities, then using forged credit cards on shopping sprees at the Mall of America and other locations. Eminem's Bill Werner talked with the State Commerce Department's Ross Corson about how the crackdown is going and what gas station owners and consumers can do. Since March uh, two years ago, the Minnesota Commerce Department has been cracking down on credit card skimmers uh, in gas pumps to protect consumers against identity theft and fraud. Um, our Weights and Measures Division uh, inspects uh, all retail gas pumps throughout the state. Traditionally, that inspection has involved things like accuracy, fuel quality, and safety. And beginning in March two years ago, uh, we added to that inspection protocol looking for any signs of tampering or actual credit card skimmers installed uh, on gas pumps. And uh, since launching this crackdown uh, two years ago, uh, Commerce Department inspectors have found a total of 36 credit card skimmers hidden in gas pumps uh, around the state. Um, and um, and those investigations are continuing uh, into, uh, into who's involved with that. And in addition to these regular inspections uh, that we do, we also do periodic what we call skimmer sweeps, uh, where members of our Weights and Measures Division, as well as our Enforcement Division, uh, target um, stations that may be more vulnerable uh, to, uh, to uh, these thieves um, with credit card skimmers. And those would be uh, stations that perhaps have older technology, older pumps that are more vulnerable to being accessed, or stations that are near uh, on and off ramps to the highways. Because what we found is that, uh, uh, that a lot of these credit card skimmers are being installed by roving um, crews of, of thieves, many of them coming from outside of the state. So, for example, in the Hennep this most recent Hennepin County case, uh, this crew was from, uh, was from Florida, and there was another instance uh, about two years ago at a gas station in Bloomington where three men from Kentucky uh, were caught in, uh, in the act of trying to install uh, skimmers in gas pumps. It, it sounds like it's just a, a process that you have to just keep on and you're going to, you're going to catch some of them. You're going to um, detect some tampering in some areas, but then there's another bunch of them that come in in another set of gas stations, right? Yeah, we, you know, we, look at, we look at this as kind of a three-legged stool in terms of uh, 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 protecting the public. I mean, there's the inspections and the skimmer sweeps that the Commerce Department can do. We've also been working with uh, service station owners throughout the state uh, to help them with uh, guidance on how they can better, better protect their pumps and protect their customers. And then the third leg of the stool is consumers themselves. Uh, and we've tried to uh, encourage consumers to be um, vigilant themselves when they're filling up at the pump. Uh, that includes things like looking for any signs of tampering on the pump, uh, looking for anybody who's maybe acting suspiciously, like they're trying to get access to the, to the pumps, um, and uh, also, um, you know, just in general, 
uh, monitor your credit card and bank accounts on a regular basis for any type of suspicious transactions or activity that would indicate that somebody's gotten a hold of your credit card information. That's Ross Corson with the Minnesota Department of Commerce talking about the continuing problem of skimmers secretly installed on gas pumps. In other news this week, about 1,500 service workers at the University of Minnesota are wondering whether they'll be on strike later this month after leaders of Teamsters Local 320 got what they termed a final two-year contract offer from the university, one they indicate has significant problems. We talked with Union Secretary-Treasurer Brian Aldis. What the rank-and-file members feel is that this is a very divisive uh, offer because what it does is it um, 50% of Teamster workers at the University of Minnesota are at the are on the top step of their respective salary schedules. So we have 50% of our membership who are not. Uh, what this offer does is it provides for those who are at the top of their schedule a 2% increase, and for those who are not, there are no across-the-board uh, increases. You got any idea what the university's objective is in doing it this this way? Are they trying to just inch the wage wage scale down, or what? Have you got any feel for that? You know, I don't have a feel for it. Uh, yeah. You know, the University of Minnesota, I'm sure, believes that you know their their uh, you know that's their idea and looking out for the best interests of uh, their workers. Uh, but the reality of it is, is our workers, you know, under this uh, proposal, do not keep pace uh, with the cost of living. And, in fact, uh, on average, Teamster workers uh, live and earn below what is uh, the cost of living uh, in the Twin Cities uh, where their two main campuses are. So this goes to a vote. Um, are, are you, is the negotiating committee not making a recommendation to the rank and file? Uh, the... The union's negotiating committee is not making a recommendation uh, as to whether uh, the members should accept it or reject it. Where uh, the union and its negotiating committee are providing the members with the facts of the final offer and uh, providing them uh, with the information they need uh, uh, so that when they cast a ballot, it's an educated vote. Uh, what the what the final offer does for them if they ratify it. Uh, and uh, what happens in the event that they choose to reject it and strike. That's Brian Aldis with Teamsters Local 320. University of Minnesota officials declined our request for an interview, but they did provide a written statement from Patty Dion, Director of Employee Relations, who says the offer presented to the Teamsters Union is, quote, fair and equitable. The salary increase is consistent with increases we have offered other union and non-union employees for the current fiscal year. The university strives to provide competitive compensation and benefits for all employees, unquote. We'll know January 23rd whether the service workers will go out on strike on the 26th. Scott? Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. A new study finds Minnesota physicians support hundreds of thousands of jobs in the state and generate billions of dollars in economic activity. MNN's Tasha Radel has more. Minnesota physicians continue to boost the state's economy. The recent study measures physicians' impact using four key economic indicators. Those indicators are jobs, 
economic activity, wages and benefits, state and local tax revenue. Joining me now to talk about the study is Dr. George Shep Oyster. He's president of the Minnesota Physicians Association. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the highlights from this year's report? Sure. So uh, uh, physicians are an important part of the community in terms of what they do to address acute health care problems, uh, chronic health care problems, and their involvement with, you know, kind of preventing uh, uh, future health care problems for people. Often we think of that as public health or uh, what used to be called annual exams. We don't do it in that fashion anymore. And I think most people are kind of aware of that. But uh, what this was pointing out, which I am aware of, and I'll talk about that just a little bit, is really pointing out how, what an impact those uh, the physicians' medical activity has on their uh, local economy as well. And uh, so, for instance, um, uh, there are uh, somewhere around thirteen or 14,000 uh, physician providers in the state of Minnesota, um, and they help to uh, generate uh, over 170,000 jobs that are directly related to uh, the healthcare. You know, whether it's at an office, um, supporting labs uh, in their medical practice, or in the hospital, those kinds of things. Which t- comes out. Uh, I was just looking at that. I thought that was an interesting number. That comes out to almost 13 jobs per physician. So when I was, for instance, when I was in my uh, solo practice, I don't happen to do that now, but when I did a few years ago, I actually had uh, a little uh, over four and a half uh, full-time equivalents. And and so what that's saying is more than twice as much as what you actually have working directly with you are the jobs that you uh, indirectly uh, help to generate, too. Uh, the number in Minnesota that comes up to economic activity a little over thirty billion dollars, which is, I think, around nine percent of the uh, economic activity in the state. And you know, did these numbers surprise you? Because when I when I looked at them and 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 looked at the data broke down, you know, I. You know, sometimes I think we forget the impact that physicians have, you know, when we're sick or not feeling well, you know, we head to the doctors, and I don't want to say we take it for granted, but Minnesota's really got a great and wonderful medical community. Where, where it, it gets talked a lot about that I personally am aware of uh, because of my, uh, some roles that I take in rural health, I uh, actually happen to sit on the Minnesota um Rural Health Association uh, board, and, uh, and so we're often looking at that. And uh, they they have a they're probably uh, except that there's a major industry in the community. Often the medical community, which would be the hospital and the docs who help support that, um, are probably the major provider. Uh, so I'm not surprised by 10 percent because they're going to be such a, a large impact on some of the rural communities. Mayo Clinic is going to be an obvious uh, one. And they are, uh, in Mayo Clinic, as you probably know, are working on trying to expand their role as a destination uh, healthcare provider. And, and I always thought they were worldwide. I think, they're, uh, I think they're making more of an active effort to do that. And so 
when you think about all the growth that's going on there, again, so, so what I'm getting at is in those two environments, my guess is it's even uh, more than that 9 or 10%. And Dr. Shep Boyster, how do we compare when we look at the rest of the nation? For me personally, it's a little harder to wrap my, my arms around the, the national numbers, but it seemed like we were proportionate based on, you know, the, our population. So I, my guess is our trends are similar in a proportionate way, depending on the number of providers uh, in other states. Well, lots of great information. Uh, Thank you so much for taking the time with me. And, you know, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. Uh, Before uh, we started talking today, uh, you had said that you were on a call uh, dealing with some of the flu cases that we've been seeing across the state. Uh, What are you hearing and seeing, and what are some good tips for Minnesotans this time of year? Uh, So the most important thing is they should uh, get a flu shot if they haven't gotten one. Uh, It'll work within two or three weeks, so it would have been nice if they'd done it a month ago, but now, uh, uh, even now is better than not at all. And uh, and then uh, it, it, uh, the the most common thing we all try to do in terms of preventing spread is uh, uh, washing our hands in between contact with other people. So it's often hard to avoid the contact, but at least make sure you try to wash your hands when you can. Thanks again to my guest, Dr. George Shep Oyster, president of the Minnesota Medical Association. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. More Minnesota Matters after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. The Minnesota Vikings begin their postseason quest for the Super Bowl with a home game this weekend against the Saints at U.S. Bank Stadium. One of the unsung heroes of this Vikings team is Rochester native Marcus Sherrills, who's the team's punt and kick returner. MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm sat down this week with Sherrills at Winter Park to talk about the season and the weekend. Marcus, what a season. Sitting here at 13-3. How much fun have you had here up to this point as we look toward the postseason now? Uh, A lot of fun, but uh, we still got got goals we want to accomplish, and uh, we're ready for the next game. What are those goals? I mean, as you head in, you're not that far away from the ultimate goal, right? Oh, yeah. Everyone's ultimate goal going into the season. Every team wants to win the Super Bowl, but, you know, we got to take it one game at a time. Do you let your mind wander a little bit? Do you let your mind wander a little bit to think about the idea? I mean, obviously, you always want to think about goals, but do you let your mind wander like, man, that you know, we're not that far away from potentially playing in this big game? Not really, and if you do that in the NFL, you know, you'll get in trouble. You just got to take it week, week by week, game by game. What's it been like as a Minnesota native, a former gopher, to stay here kind of in your home state and and help be a big contributor to, to the success this season? Uh, it's been fun. You know, you get a lot of support here in Minnesota. The fans are great, and I'm from here. I got a lot of family here, so it's cool growing up watching them and now playing for them. How much, uh, family and fr- how much time do you get to spend with family and friends? Obviously, playing during the week is busy and all that, but how much do you get to share with, with uh, your family and your friends? Uh, my family's close, so I can see them pretty much whenever I want, so that's a good thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I wanted to ask you about your brother Mike, of course, uh, the former Gopher linebacker, another Rochester guy, obviously, and uh, has been, I'm sure, an inspiration to you with what he's uh, gone through, and now he's, uh, you know, with his health issue. I mean, here's a guy that, I mean, we, I mean, now we can talk about it. He won all these, uh, the Courage Award and all that stuff. I mean, he was not too far from not being here, and now he's uh, back to, you know, being a father and maybe a coach down the road. Who knows? But how much inspiration did you get from him? Uh, you know, he's always been my hero. Ever since since I was little, I've always looked up to him. Um, obviously, what he went through was tough, but uh, 
we're blessed to have him here still, and he's doing well. How much do you talk to him? Is it every day? <laughs> Not every day. I don't want to bother him too much, but we, we talk enough, yeah. Now, i got to ask you about this game this weekend. The New Orleans Saints come in, you guys beat them in the season opener, and uh, a lot has changed since then on both sides of the football. Um, what what uh, what can you tell us about your expectation level of this football game? Uh, they're a really good team. You know, we got we know we got to come out and play good on all three phases, offense, defense, and special teams, and look forward to getting a win. You have an impact uh, in all four phases of, uh, of the special teams part, both, re- both return games, both coverage games. Um, take me through what a return guy thinks about heading into the week, knowing that you can have a major impact both in the kick and the punt return game first. Let's talk about that. How, how do you prepare for that, I mean, in terms of, of getting ready to re- in this return game? Yeah, well, Coach Brief and Coach Fake, they do a good job preparing us, getting the, getting the game plan down. And, uh, you know, field position's big, especially in the playoffs. So we just got to be ready, take care of the ball, and uh, hopefully make a play when, when our chance, chance comes. And uh, are there specific things each week? I mean, certainly different people have different coverages. Let's mm-hmm. talk about, like, when you're talking punt return and kick return, uh, a few things that might be special for each given week. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, Preef always comes up with a good game plan based on who the team is, what punter we're playing against, what kicker we're, we're playing against. So uh, he's got a good one this week, and we're ready to go. Yeah, ready to go. Um, how, how, uh, what, what kind of adrenaline flows through you when you know you – I mean, when, when you break one, you get in the free, and there you go, you're off to the races. Because, what, I think you're at five career returns for a touchdown? Yeah, we'd love to make it six. But, uh, it's, yeah, it's a lot of fun anytime you can help the team and – especially at home, and our fans get into it, so it's a lot of fun. Marcus Sherrills retreats to the 17, heads near side. He gets the 20, 25, 30. Marcus turns it up, far side 40. Has Sam Cook to beat. He slowed him, and Marcus is taken down at the 37-yard line. It's a 44-yard return by main man Marcus, his longest of the season. All right, last one for you here as you guys get ready for this playoff. Now, you grew up here, so you know the history a little bit better. How big would it be to shed everything? I mean, you think of all you could accomplish here in this uh, three- or four-week stretch now and, and, and for the state, for Rochester, Minnesota, for the Twin Cities and everybody else. Of course, you'd love to bring a Super Bowl to Minnesota, but we can't think that far ahead. And, you know, our, our, our mindset's on New Orleans this week, and we got to be ready to go. Enjoy the ride, my friend. Thank you. Thanks a lot. That's Marcus Sherrills and Mike Grimm, and that's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.